So I got a lot to say in a little bit of time. All right. So Father God, we thank you so much that we can come together in your name. Where two or more are gathered in your name, Lord, you're there in their midst. You're here right now. You're speaking. You're moving. It's not what we see. The things that we see, those things are temporal. But the things that we can't see, they are eternal. And Holy Spirit, you're moving in the midst of us. You're changing hearts. You're changing minds. You're bringing revelation and understanding and enlightenment. (coughs) You're showing us things that we never knew before. You said, call upon me and I will show you great and mighty things that you've never known. So Lord, we're calling upon you and we're asking. Move in our midst. Lord, feed us with your bread from heaven, your, your fresh manna. Give me bread to give to the sheep, Lord, that they might be able to come away from this time feeling fulfilled and truly closer to you and knowing you in a more intimate way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're on part three of what we've been talking about. We've been talking about, anyone remember? Spirit, soul, and body. Spirit, soul, and body. We've been talking about Romans 6, 7, and 8. Mm-hmm. Last week we talked about why Christians are defeated. We got into that quite a bit. We talked about how Christians can truly be born again and still struggle with things like homosexuality. How can that be? Isn't that kind of an oxymoron? We found a lot of truths there. One of the things that we found out was what? We are, according for, to 1 Thessalonians, let's just flip over there real quick. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 23. He says, And the very God of peace sanctify you holy, which simply is a big fancy word that says he's going to set you apart for his own use. He's going to sanctify you holy. That means entirely, all the way through and through. And he says, I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did he say he was going to make you blameless? He said he was going to what? Preserve. Preserve. You don't preserve something that's not already that way, right? If you're making jam jelly and you put it in a jar to preserve it, are you trying to make the jam jelly in the jar or had you already made it? You already made it. You're trying to keep it. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. You're trying to preserve it. You're trying to keep it from being contaminated, right? Ephesians chapter 5 also tells us that we have been sealed With the Holy Spirit of promise, we've been given the earnest of our inheritance. If you were to buy a house, they're going to ask you to put what down? Down payment. Down payment. That's a fancy, nifty little word for what they used to call an earnest. What is God saying? He's saying that in the new birth, he gave you the Holy Spirit. And actually, we could mince words all day long if you wanted to and really get down into the theological nitty-gritty of all of it. But according to Paul, you had the Spirit of God when you got born again. The moment you got born again, something changed. Remember? Yeah. You want to think of a scripture that comes to mind that talks about that? <coughs> New birth, uh, John, even sealed three. Sean? You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. First uh, Corinthians 5, 19. Anyone remember it? For all those who are in Christ Jesus... Old things passed away, all things became new, and all things are of God. God. My favorite part of the verse. Everyone knows that part now, don't they? (laughs) My favorite part. 
It ain't like it used to be. Something moved out and something moved in. And that's the Holy Ghost. He is the Spirit of God. Okay? But just like God is three in one, the Spirit of God functions in three different ways. There is the ministry of the Father, and we see that in the Old Covenant when the giving of the law. There is the ministry of the Son. And in Romans chapter 8, it's all talking about having the Spirit of the Son. Is that different from the Holy Ghost? No. Same Spirit, different name, based upon their function. That don't make sense, Matt. Well, think about this. I can be a dad, right? And what I do as a dad, yes, hi, Ethan. <laughs> what I do as a dad is not the same things that I do as a husband, but I am also a husband, aren't I? Right. Now, the things that I would do with Sarah and the way I would relate to Sarah and the way that we would grow our relationship are vastly different from the way I would with my children or I'd be in jail. Right. I definitely would be standing here talking to you, right? <laughs> There'd be pitchforks and fire. Because they're different functions but same person. I'm also an administrator. I also run nursing homes, right? Do I come home and I say, you better be within your PPD and you better not overspend and if I find out your labor cost is too high, you're out of here. I might get a little bit further if I did, right? <laughs> did you spend five dollars? <laughs> no, it's usually my wife. I see you went to a PF Chains. What's that all about? She works at the bank. <laughs> I am monitored, trust me. <laughs> what I do as an administrator is vastly different from what I do as a husband and what I do as a dad. I and rarely do those lines cross. And it's actually in crossing those lines that can create strain. And so I have a policy. I don't hire family and I don't work with friends because I like clear line division. That's just how I like to work. I've learned my lesson over the years, 13 years of doing it. In the same way, the Holy Spirit functions as the Spirit of the Lord. You see that all throughout the Old Testament. He's the Spirit of God, Spirit of the Lord. He's talking about the Spirit of the Father. But then, in Romans 8, you see an interesting section of Scripture that talks about if you have not the Spirit of the Son, you're none of His. Anyone ever hear about Christ in you? Colossians chapter 3. The hope of glory. What is Christ being in you? Look at Ephesians. It says that Christ is seated in heavenly places and you're seated with him. So is he up there or is he down here? Down here. He's both. And he does it by the Spirit. The Spirit. God is three in one. But the Holy Spirit has his own ministry. Okay? This is where the church is vastly divided. And this is where all the confusion comes from. If every denomination could pull out their Bibles and sit down together and agree that a Greek word says a Greek word and this is what it says and oh no, so-and-so says this and something, shut up. This is what the book said. <laughs> this is what we're going with, right? I've sat down with many a Baptist and I've done this and every time they've agreed, you're right, but that's not what my church teaches. <laughs> Fact of the matter is it's very clear. It is because we don't have this clear understanding that people walk in defeat that we have an anemic church and people don't know their scriptures. It's because of this. So, as God the Father, Spirit, what does the Spirit of the Lord do? Who can tell me? As the Spirit of the Lord, as the Spirit of the Father, what does He do? 
What are the, some of the things that he did in the Old Covenant? Hmm? Yeah, he blessed. There was some teaching. Remember, what you have today is not what they had then. Only people who had the Spirit of the Lord in the Old Covenant were who? Prophets. Prophet? Priests and kings. They had a threefold ministry. David and Christ were unique in the fact that they were all three in one. Right? You know Adam was called a prophet? He was a prophet. Those were the only people that had the Spirit of the Lord. And he would come on people, and then he would leave them. Remember Samson told Delilah about his hair? She cut it, and he rose up and shook himself as though he had done before, but the Spirit of the Lord refused to come upon him. Remember? And it was because he broke his covenant with God. Right? Okay. In the Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit gave us the law. <coughs> he inspired Moses to write the law. And what did the law do? What did we find out from Paul? What does the law do? It kills. <laughs> it kills? That's right. What else? You're in a different direction. Hold that thought, though, because we're going to come back to you, okay? What else? What else did the law do? It shows us what we're doing wrong or why we're wrong. It is a mirror to show us who we truly are. That's right. God gave the law, first and foremost, to restrain sin. The world became so bad right after the fall that God had to wipe out everyone but one family who found grace in the eyes of the Lord named Noah. Right? There was unrestrained sin. And it was because man rationalized, very much like today, well, if so-and-so got away with it, my sin's not half as bad as theirs, so I must be okay. And instead it got so out of control that every imagination and every thought of man was nothing but evil continually. And God regretted that he created man. And to preserve man so that Christ would have a seed to come through, he said, Noah, I want you to build me an ark. And he preserved his children and his household. Right? So the law restrained sin. It also showed us who we really were. The law strips away all deception. And Galatians chapter 3 tells us that it's a teacher. And it teaches us who we really are. And when we say we're good enough for God, the law says, oh, yeah? Well, how about this one? And how about this one? And how about this one and this one and this one and this one and this one? And so the Pharisees come along and say, well, we didn't do that one. And God says, that doesn't matter. Well, we didn't do that one. Well, that doesn't matter. Because it's like a sheet of glass, according to James. And if you shoot a, shoot a BB through a pane of glass, it doesn't matter. The whole thing's broken. If you've broken one, you've broken them all. The law of God is not separate commandments. It's one law. So Romans 2 tells us that if you say, well, I'm not an adulterer like that person, but have you become a glutton? Are you a liar? Have you said things with your mouth you shouldn't say? You are now a, lot, a murderer. It takes the word, and puts it in the proper context is what God meant. Jesus did this on the Sermon on the Mountain called Beatitudes when he said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But what God intended was that if you even look at a woman and you lust in her heart, you have already done it. 
It's not just the act. It's the intention and the desire and the thought of the heart and the mind. It's the inward person. And that goes to the core of what we are talking about, guys. Most Christianity, write this down somewhere, you need to know. Most Christianity is all about teaching you how to modify your behavior. It is behavior modification. That's what psychology is about. That's what all psychotherapy is about. Getting you to change your behavior. And they'll even tell you, it's okay to think it, just don't do it. And this is how we're going to work at that. Oh, what? Is behavior modification. They're concerned with the external. They want you to be good. Can I tell you there's a word for that? You know what it's called? Religion. You know what the word religion means? It literally means a return to bondage. It literally means a return to bondage. God did not give us a religion. He gave us a savior. And he didn't just come and save us from our behavior. He came and saved us from ourselves. He came and saved us from ourselves. Because we were the biggest enemy. You know why there's hardly anything about Satan in the Old Covenant? Look it up. There's only a handful of verses. You got Job. Oh, Job. <laughs> but even there, you only have a handful of verses. You got Isaiah. Maybe about five verses there. You got a little bit of Ezekiel, but you got to read through the types and shadows about the Prince of Tyre. Amen to that. But there's very little. You got Genesis when he went into the snake, but he never calls him the devil. He calls him the snake through the whole thing. There's very little. You get in the New Testament, there's a whole lot. Why? Because God couldn't do anything with the devil under the old covenant as long as he had an unborn again, unregenerated man who was a wide door to him. And you had no authority under the old covenant. You had no salvation under the old covenant. So there was nothing that you could, if he would have told you, you would have been wasting your time. Remember what Job said? Would to God I'd have a mediator, someone that would stand between me and God and mediate. Because what was he saying? This might ring a bell. What was he saying? God, why did you do this to me? Was it God? No. Now you know the whole jest of the book of Job. <laughs> now you know the whole jest of it. It wasn't God. But you couldn't rebuke the devil as an old covenant man. You had no authority. Only the child of God. The word says that those who received Christ, he gave them power to become the sons of God. And that word power is literally the word for authority. He gave us his authority. Okay? The Christianity of the Bible is not focused on behavior. It is not focused on outward man making sure we behave and we have all our ducks in a row and everyone acts the way they should act. That is not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about... A change on the inside of man. God working from the inside, affecting the outside. God changing the thoughts. God changing the desires. God changing the imaginations. 
God doing a work on the inside. Remember Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like a woman who took a little bit of leaven and she hid it in some meal until the whole thing was leavened. That's what the kingdom of God's like. He put the spirit of God inside of us and slowly the spirit of God is taking possession over our entire being. Thought by thought, desire by desire, idea by idea. Okay? Understand that what I'm telling you is not when you be good, God's going to start moving. What I'm saying is the day you realize, I don't have those desires anymore, you will realize God's been moving. God's been moving. He is trying... Galatians chapter 5, flip over there. Galatians chapter 5 clearly says this, verse 16. I say then, this I say then, walk in the Spirit. What's your responsibility? Walk in the Spirit. And what? Read what it says, not what it doesn't say. It doesn't say the flesh will disappear, does it? What do we know about the flesh? Do what? Wars against spirit. What else? It's us. It's not saved. It's us. It's our old. It's our old. We get See, I knew I wanted to keep my notes. We are a unique situation right now. God said, I'm done with this creation. I'm done with it. I can't fix it, but I can replace it. And before God created a place for his man, he created the man for the place. And he did it by saying, I'll be the first. I'll be the first one among many brethren. And when Jesus came out of that tomb, every every last one of you came out with him. Just like an acorn falls to the ground and sprouts a large tree, and in that tree are many, 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 many seeds. And there's thousands of trees on the inside of it. When Christ came out of that tomb, he was the tree, and all of us were inside of him. We're all in Christ. But there is a part of you that is not like Christ. We call that the flesh. There is a body that is still part of the old creation, and there is a soul, a mind, will, and emotions that we are called to renew with the word of God. Right? Salvation of the soul is a renewing of the soul, renewing of the mind. And we find out from Paul in Romans 7 that there's this thing called sin. And it lives somewhere inside of us. It's not, it's not the old nature. Old things passed away. What was that old thing? The old nature, the part of us that made us do it. You ever talk to someone who's a sinner and says, I don't know why y'all do it. I like it. I enjoy it. I'm going to do it tonight. You ever meet a sinner? Sometimes you've been saved so long you forget what it was like. <laughs> sinner sin, why? Because they're sinners. They enjoy it. They like it. 
You ever see people who are like, you've been around this mountain six times. I know Christians like that. But we're not going to discuss that tonight. <laughs> you've been around this mountain six times. Oh, no, I don't know what's wrong. Someone just needs to help me. And then next week, they're going to be right back to the same place. Why? Because the sinner loves sin. It's who they are. And God don't put them down. God doesn't hate them. God loves the sinner. He loves them. He don't fault them because sinners do what sinners do best. They sin. They can teach us. <laughs> they do it good. But even though that, that old man moved out, he left something behind. Because if right now you died right where you're sitting, I know where you would be. I wouldn't say Naomi's still sitting in that chair. I'd be saying Naomi's done been with the Lord. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There is no in-between. Naomi, who Naomi is, her spirit and her soul would instantly disappear and be with the Lord in heaven. In a moment. But Naomi would still be sitting in that chair. How? She left behind a body. And so did sin. And that's why you struggle still. Because it left something behind. Read what Galatians 5 says, not what it doesn't say. It says, walk in the spirit... And you will not fulfill the lust. The lust of the flesh. Now we're talking about a whole nother something. What is a lust? It's a sin. Uh, not necessarily. A lust in and of itself is not necessarily a sin. It's a, Say it loud, Brad. It's a desire to do something. Or want something. Or, or want something, right. It's a desire. Desires in and of themselves aren't good or bad. They just are, right? But the flesh has its own desires. You know what the flesh has? The flesh has a body that got left behind. Sin left behind a body. Hold your finger here in Galatians 5. We're going to come back, but let's flip over to Romans. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 is very interesting. Anyone ever read Watchman Ian's book, The Normal Christian Life? By far, beyond the Bible, my absolute favorite book. If you haven't read it, you need to. If you don't understand it, you don't understand Christian life, period. Point blank. Okay? My second favorite book, The Christian Secret to a Happy Life by Hannah Whitehall Smith. She talks about the exact same stuff. Anyone ever hear of Hudson Taylor? He talked about living the abundant life. He was a missionary that, was, that lived in failure. And he found the secret to abundance in life, to walking in Christ. And everything he says goes 100% with what we're talking about. He gave Watchman Nee's book out to all of the people in his mission. Mm -hmm. If you ain't read it, you need to read it. You know what his book's all about? Romans 6, 7, and 8. <laughs> I ain't preaching to you the book. I preach to you the real book. But I'm just saying, it's a good text to go to. And you know what's interesting is Romans 6 has some very interesting things to say here. Because remember, this was a letter. And it was written to some people. And every paragraph has a point, right? We read it in verses in our Bibles, but it was paragraphs. And it had a point, had a topic sentence. Darla, do you need to talk to us a little bit about grammar and how all that works? <laughs> this is your noun. This is your verb. This is the point, right? Everything else is just proposition to support the rest, right? 
I had a really great grade on my ACT for English, just to tell you that. So, <laughs> you flip over here to Romans chapter 6, verse 6, and what does he say? He's telling us about how the old man was crucified with Christ, how that's done away with, all that stuff. And really the crux of it is he's fighting this argument that people are coming at him saying, you're telling people it's okay to sin. And he's saying, if you understood what I am saying, you would understand that you would never desire to sin if you understood this. You are looking at people from the exterior and you're saying, oh, I know Lydia. She's a mess. And I know Ledema. Don't even get me started. And I know Mark. Anyway, and then there's Scott, right? And you're looking at the outward man and Paul says, whoo, let me tell you about Lydia. She is blessed of the Lord and highly favored. She is seated in Christ in heavenly places. She is above only and not beneath. Lydema. That girl's anointed. Y'all don't know. What's going on? Paul says, I know no man according to the flesh any longer. I only know him according to the spirit. And Paul didn't go to people and say, shame on you. He said, don't you know who you are? There is a knowledge deficit. And my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. So here Paul says this in Romans 6, 6. He says, knowing this. If he says knowing this, what do you think he means? You probably want to know this, right? Get a revelation of this fact. And until you get it, don't leave from this verse. He says, knowing this, the whole point of chapter 6, that your old man is crucified with him. The part of you that caused you to sin is out of here. It's out of here. When Adam took of that fruit, what did God tell him? In the day you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. And when he took of the fruit, what happened? Did he drop dead? What happened? He died spiritually. And how was that evidenced? Hold on. I get a lot of participation now. We know these answers. <laughs> what were you saying? He uh, tried to hide from God because he was ashamed. Okay. Being dead, being dead spiritually causes you to hide from God because you know one of these ain't like the other. Mm -hmm. It causes shame, guilt, and abandonment from God. What else? What else? What was the other evidence? Come on, y'all. We're talking he just a second. Naked. He knew he was naked. He had knowledge of himself he did not have before. You think that Adam said, well, I hid myself because I was naked. And God said, whoa, why didn't someone tell me about that? I forgot clothes. Dang it. No. God didn't forget clothes. They were naked and what? Unashamed. Unashamed. Because if there is no lust of the flesh to cause you to think in a sinful way, being naked is not shameful. Do you think God is wearing clothes? It depends on who you ask. Because when Moses said, Lord, you're going to pass by me, he says, oh, I'm going to put you on the cliff of the rock because you see my face, you're going to die. But when God passed by, he says, he's seen his hinder parts. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't his underwear. Let's just say. Okay? 
He saw his hinder parts, is what the scripture says. Read it. It's there. You may have to dig into the Hebrew, but you'll see it. Okay? God did not create us to be ashamed of who we are. It, it is godly in walking in their nakedness and innocence. They were glorifying God and proudly displaying what God had created them to be like. And when the animals and when all creation, even the earth, because the earth is alive too. If you read scripture, we're going to talk about that. When all of earth saw man, they said, God. We see God when we see man because they're created in his image. And that's why he had authority over the whole earth. God had given it to him. Remember? How did we get off into all that? <laughs> all that was said to be said this. Romans 6, 6, it was crucified with him. I remember where we went with that. He died. He died. But now being born again, he's saying, you've lived your life dead. You've lived as a dead man. Only knowing what it is to be separated from God. Now I want you to have a shift in your thinking. I want you to renew your mind. And what I want you to start thinking is this. You are now alive to God. So if we shift our thinking to being alive to God, how did Adam and Eve act before they fell? When they were connected to him. They walked with God the whole of the day. And they never were separated from him. Yeah. He was always available. They had him on speed dial. They had unparalleled authority. They didn't go out and rake the ground and cause something to grow. Adam tended the garden. He said, apple. There was an apple. Elephants. Go down there. Elephants went down there. When God was ready to name the creation, he didn't say, Adam, this be a giraffe and that be a cow. He said, Adam, what is that? And Adam said, hey, God, did you know that's a giraffe and that be a cow? Does that one give chocolate milk? Adam told God that. He let Adam name him. It was Adam's earth. Okay? He is telling us, stop thinking like a dead man and start thinking like a living man. He says, you got to know this. If you don't get this squared down in your heart, grace has done nothing for you. This is all what grace is about. God doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. So if your Christianity is something that you do for God, your Christianity is counterfeit. Watchman Nee said it, and I fully agree with it. No one can live the Christian life, only Jesus Christ himself. And he's called grace. So here, Romans 6, 6, he says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. The body of sin. What's the body of sin? Well, that old man left. But what did he leave behind? A body. And what does that body look like? Well, it's our regular body. Matter of fact, hold your place there. Go over to Romans 8. See, I told you we were going to get there. Romans 8, 10. Foundation scripture we started with last week. It says, and if Christ be in you, if you're born again, this is your situation. The body is dead because of sin. The body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is alive because of righteousness. What's he saying? He's saying you're a two-for-one sale. He's saying part of you is old. Part of you is new, so you can go get married. And when they say something old, say, I got it. <laughs> Dad, you're old. I got it. You're cheesy. 
Something old. There is two parts of you that are old and one part. So it's kind of like a recipe. Two parts water, one part oil, right? <laughs> two parts of you are old. It's not born again yet. We talked about this. In our creation, we had the presence of sin before we're saved. When we are sinners, there's the presence of sin. Now, it doesn't make sense if you think that sin is your actions. Right? Because we found out that the word sin is used how many times between Romans 6 to 8? 49 times. And how many times is it a verb? Twice. Twice. And what is it talking about when it's talking about a verb? Actions. She's a teacher. She's certified to tell you, believe her, not me. Actions. So if it ain't a verb, what is it the other time? A noun. It's a noun. Which one is a noun? Person, place, or thing. You mean sin is a thing? Sin is a person? Sin could be a place? Hmm. So that means sin, sin must have a way of thinking. <coughs> sin must have desires. Sin must have a strategy. It does. And Paul reveals this to us. Why does the Christian continue to sin after they're born again? Because within the part of you that is still not like God, we call it the flesh. There dwells an entity, you could say, a person, place, or thing, a noun, a thing called the body of sin. And it is the remnant of what the old man left behind. It is, oh, we didn't put it up here. It is imaginations. It are things that you think about. Anyone ever sit around and start thinking really bad stuff, like say that you get a bill in the mail that you can't pay, and all of a sudden you can see yourself going into bankruptcy, your house getting taken away. You can even tell what the clothes a person's wearing when they knock on your door, right? You've just got it down. Or maybe you see something on TV. None of us have done this. But you see something on TV and you start fantasizing about that. Or, or maybe you... Uh, let's not talk about that. Or maybe you see an amazing piece of cake and you're like, I could so eat the whole thing, right? And gluttony just takes over your whole... Those things are lusts of the flesh. And you have them because it is part of the old man that was left behind. So what are you? You're a new man. But what are you? You are a spirit. You have, you possess what you own, like the car you drive in. You have a soul. You have mind. You have thoughts. You have a will. You have decisions. You have emotions. We call those desires. And you live in a body. So when we say the old man passed away and a new man has come and it's like God, what are we saying? We're saying who you are, your nature, what makes you, you. God changed. Because God knew this. If he could take the sinner out of your spirit, he could put the saint inside. And God did one better. He took out the sin and he put himself. And now it's Christ in you the hope of glory. And when Philippians comes along, Paul says, it's God in you both to do and to will his good pleasure. 
God is working from the inside to the outside. And if your Christianity is only, well, I'm acting better, it's a false Christianity. But if your Christianity is a, I don't even want to Christianity, I'm just loving God and the world's great and I'm believing, and can I pray for you because you need to be healed? And oh my God, the word is just real. You have discovered true Christianity. Because that's what Christianity is. God real on the inside of you. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Do you see now how the church can be defeated not understanding this? So clear. It left behind a body. And it says this. Going back to 6 6. That the body of sin might be destroyed. Doesn't say it was, doesn't say it will. It said it might. That means a possibility it ain't, right? It might. That henceforth we should not serve sin. If you don't want sin to reign in your mortal body, then you've got to do something. And that means that you're going to get a revelation that the old man's not there anymore and you've got to destroy that body of sin. Well, how do I do that? Well, that's great because Paul told us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says they are mighty in God. They're mighty. God said, I know that you're at war. I get it. You're not, you ain't got an old nature and a new nature fighting against each other. No, 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 no. What's on the inside of you is so much greater than this body of sin. You're fighting a corpse is what you're doing. And really, the spirit is much more powerful. The only reason you're putting up with it is because you don't know any different. Ain't nobody told you you didn't have to. Like saying beating a dead horse? Kind of like that, Ethan, yes. <coughs> beating a dead horse. You don't have to deal with that. But if you ain't going to deal with that, you got to start thinking of yourself in a different way because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. See, we're learning something on Wednesday night. So is he. It's the same concept as this. Quit looking at yourself like a sick person that God's trying to get healed. Jesus was never sick. And he never needed healing. He gave it out. Quit looking at yourself like a poor man that God's got to figure out where to find fish or money in the mouth of fish to feed you because you're so broken poor you don't know what to do. And realize, no, you're the type of person that paves streets with gold. If you believe it, you're going to start experiencing it. Now, I'm not saying blab it, grab it, but I am saying Philemon verse 6 says that the communication of your faith will start to become effectual. Well, how? By the acknowledging of every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. You focus on the good and not on the bad. Too many Christians are focused on the thou shalt not when they start looking at the you shall. You shall. If you shall, you'll quit worrying about what you shan't not do. It all work itself out. You don't shovel the darkness out of a room to get the light to come. You turn the light switch on and guess what? Darkness leaves. Darkness leaves. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God. To what? To the pulling down of strongholds. What are those strongholds? They are vain imagination. They are concepts and ideas and thought patterns that are not like God. They are knowledge that is contradictory to the Word of God. 
What, this all sounds like it's something that happens in the mind. Are we finding something here? Can I tell you that your soul, this little squirrely thing that you have, that you are not, but you have, is like the center of a faucet. And just like you can go to your house, you can turn it on hot, or you can turn it on cold, or maybe you get a little warm in the middle. Call that lukewarm. We're not going there, but we're just saying. <laughs> right? That's the same way you are as a believer. And if you choose to think on the carnal, carnal ain't sinful, carnal is natural. Carnal could be sitting here thinking, I hate that banner, that is the most hideous thing I've ever seen in my life. You could think that. Or you could sit here and even think, man, that banner is beautiful. I mean, just look at the gold and look at the, oh, that's amazing. Both those things are carnal. There was good and bad in both, but they're both carnal. It's natural. It's not spiritual. Jesus said, my word, it is spirit and it is life. How do you get in the spirit? Well, you get your mind on the things of God. He who keeps his mind stayed upon me, I'll keep that man in perfect peace. For he trusts in me. Your mind determines. And your mind is part of your heart. And out of the abundance of your heart, mouth speaks. Guard your heart. For out of it flows all. You missed a little word out of there. All. All is all the issues of life. If you want to govern yourself, you govern it through the heart. Govern through the heart. And you can only do that if you know God has done a work on the inside. He's given you power on the inside to overcome. And he says, therefore, sin will not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law. You are under grace. I'm not asking you to live the Christian life in your power. I'm asking you to live the Christian life by letting me do it. And I don't serve sin, so don't do it. That's what he's saying. And it goes on, he says this, verse 7, For he that is dead is freed from sin. You're free from it. You're free from the sin nature. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dies no more. Death has no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he lives unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also this. What's that mean? What's that word reckon mean? Anyone know? Understand? It's actually an accounting term. It means act like it's so. Make it in your mind as though it's absolutely real already. Because it is. It's reckoning. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Start thinking and talking and acting like you were in the garden right now. Because you are. That's what he's saying. Jesus said, the kingdom of God does not come with appearance, but it is on the inside of you. And it comes with power. The kingdom of God is inside of you. What we're talking about, if we go back over to Galatians chapter 5, is this. You cannot rein in your desires. They're going to be there. The flesh has a desire. And the spirit has a desire. 
And they're contrary to one another. So what are you going to do? Well, Paul says it this way. If you sow to the flesh, of the flesh you're going to reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, of the spirit you're going to reap everlasting life. Jesus said, I came to give you life, and I came to give it to you more abundantly. Well, how do I walk in that abundant life? By letting the Spirit of God be in control. We call that being filled with the Spirit. I thought that was speaking in tongues. Eh, see, there you go again. You're off on another function of the Holy Ghost. Totally different function. We're talking about the Spirit of the Son inside of you. The Spirit of Christ inside of you. Okay? Not talking about tongues, not talking about power. We're not talking about the gifts of the Holy Ghost. That's when he comes upon. We're talking about the spirit inside, or you might call it the indwelling spirit. The indwelling spirit. This is all of what Paul taught in Romans 6, 7, and 8. In Ephesians 3, 4, and 5. This is what he talked about in Colossians. He talks about it over and over and over. Matter of fact... Now, I, don't, I want to keep on on this thought. Let, let's not go that direction here. The Spirit of God is the one that can get a handle on your desires. It says that the Spirit lusts against the flesh, and the flesh lusts against the Spirit, so you can't do the things that you want to do. So how do I do the things that I want to do? Well, what do you want to do? Well, you want to be led by the Spirit. For those that are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. Well, how does the Holy Ghost lead me into the things of the Spirit of God? Through desires. Well, how does he get control of that? What you thinking on? What you thinking on? Because to be spiritually minded is life and peace. What you're experiencing right now is the harvest of what you thought about <coughs> yesterday. You are reaping what you have sown. You see what I'm saying? Good thoughts, good outcome. Bad thoughts, bad outcome, or carnal thoughts, let's say. The Spirit of God has the ability on the inside of you to rein in all those bad desires, all those lusts and those things. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying this. Someone can be a homosexual before they get born again. They get saved and they say, well, I still have these desires. And I'm going to say, that's that body of sin. It ain't really there. That ain't who you are. Don't believe it for a second. You are righteous in Jesus Christ. So when those desires come, you recognize them for what they are. That is the flesh. You don't believe it? Read the book. It's one of the lusts of the flesh, one of the works of the flesh. So how do I deal with it? Through the Spirit. Quit thinking on things that gender towards those desires. And when you starve that and you feed the Spirit of God with thoughts that are godly, with the Word of God, all of a sudden you find out that those desires leave. Because you know what? Let's just all be really spiritual for a second, shall we? <coughs> Maybe your just unique type of flesh wasn't a homosexual flesh. But let's just get really honest about it, shall we? What was your favorite sin? Anyone want to go first? Not that one. <laughs> Anyone want to go first? Anyone want to raise their hand and share with the group? I don't care. Because remember, because remember, the law is one single law, not multiple commandments. So the person who says, 
well, I'm not a homosexual. The law comes back and says, but you're a liar. But you're a liar. But you overeat. But you don't spend your money like you should. But you didn't say what you should have said. Or maybe you knew you should have and you didn't. Let's talk about sins of omission. Let's talk about what you know to do and you don't do. Let's talk about that. See, it feels really self-righteous to point fingers at all the, the Christians that sin until you start realizing four fingers are pointing back at you. Amen. Therefore, we are all counted as unrighteous before the law. We all need a Savior. Amen. We all need a Savior. And because we don't tell people that the Spirit of God will take control of us if we'll give Him that right... If you'll yield yourself to him through saying, God, I'm going to spend time in your word. And as I do, Holy Spirit, I want you to get a hold of my emotions. I want you to get a hold of my desires. Because what, what do emotions come from? They come from your thoughts. They come from your thoughts. You may absolutely hate pickles. But if you sat around and thought, I bet that's just, I bet it tastes awesome. Everyone's eating. And have you ever been one of these people? I do this. I'm really bad. I see a car that I'm like, wow, I really want to get that car. And all of a sudden, I see that car everywhere. Everyone has that car but me. Nobody went and bought that car because I was looking at that. But I know I was with someone the other day, and I said, I really would like to get a Kia Stinger. And the person who was sitting in the car with me said, oh, I know. You want to go test drive one? I saw one the other day. I said, Yes, I do. I'm not going to because I'm letting the Spirit of God control me. But I want to really bad. <laughs> it came from my thought life. Emotions and desires. We're just going to move right along. Emotions and My wife is present. Emotions and desires are results of our thought life. And our thought life is a result of our will, our choices. And God says, you want to walk in life, life more abundantly, get spiritually minded. And we can sit here and be all spiritual, and this is a whole other night that we can get into <laughs> later, because you know I'm not done with the series yet. But we get spiritual about this and we think okay well by the stripes of jesus i am healed and that's all i'm going to think about oh you blessed little thing right that's not exactly what god means thoughts are a small portion of it because you've got to see it on the inside of yourself you've got to imagine it Do you know what the word imagine means conception it literally means to give birth until you see it on the inside of yourself, you'll never see it in the natural. Do you know what's even more powerful than imaginations and thoughts and desires? What you focus on. It's my favorite word. It's your attention. attention. The most powerful part of you, and Jesus put it this way, if your eye be full of darkness, the whole body is full of darkness. But if the eye be full of light, how great is that light? What's he saying? 
if you focus on the things of darkness, it will consume you inside and out. But if you focus on the things of the Spirit, it will consume you and all those around you. It is resurrection life on the inside of you. We're going to end with this, because I know I'm over. Only by three minutes. I haven't had my extra 15 minutes yet, okay? (laughs) Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18. We're just going to touch on this and we're going to move on. Verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you shall henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. How? In the vanity or the emptiness or the carnality of their minds. So what happens when you walk in the vanity of your mind? Having their understanding darkened. Remember why that was so important? Remember that first seed, or that first soil, in the sower and the seed, Matthew 13? That first soil, where Satan was able to come and rob all the truth that God had tried to sow in that person's heart. And why was he able to do it? Because they lacked what? Understanding. Lacking understanding opens a door for the enemy to steal all your spiritual knowledge. He says, by having a vain mind and walking in it, you darken your understanding, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. You alienate yourself from the resurrection life that is inside of you because the blindness of their hearts, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness and greediness. You know what lasciviousness is? Lustfulness. Lustfulness. But you have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard of him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to what? Deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that... Pardon me, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. He doesn't become righteous, he's created in it. Created in righteousness and true holiness. Holiness is not actions on the outside, it is a reality on the inside, working its way to the outside. Okay? All right, Pastor, you want to close for us? Well, Father, we just thank you for this evening's lesson. We thank you that we indeed seek your face. We seek your word, Father. We ask for the revelatory, revelatory knowledge that comes with understanding by your spirit. We thank you, Father, that your word is working mightily in each and every one of us, that Christ in us is an overflory. And we thank you. For all you've done, Jesus. If we even talk for a minute, Lord, about the things that you've all delivered each and every one of us from, we'd be here for a long time. So we just take thought of that and thank you for the deliverance you provided and the total freedom and the peace in God through Christ. In Jesus' name.
Oh, thank you.